Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Welcome to this week's 99 Potions, FanBite's premier RPG podcast, where we get together to talk about RPGs. I'm one of your hosts, Natalie Flores, Assistant Managing Editor at FanBite.com, and with me today are two of my illustrious hosts. One is John Warren, Head of Large. Hello, how's it going? Hi, is your head particularly large and full of media today? It's definitely large, and it's it's definitely full of something. I'll tell you. Imran <laughs> uh, Khan, news editor at Fanbyte.com. What is your head filled with today? Uh, Adderall and pizza. I think. Wow. I had pizza for breakfast. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Cold or warm? You're not supposed to uh, put that in your head, though, Imran. <laughs> Which, the the pizza or the Adderall? Because they both went in the same way. No, the Adderall g- gets up to your brain, but I don't know if the pizza does. Mm, I, I have to assume that pizza has just been naturally taking its place in my head for the last 20 years or so. <laughs> little little pizza just particles like, <laughs> just find their ways up there. Yeah. Yeah, I, I've been pizza brained. <laughs> it's when you, like, when you take Advil, like, some people are like, oh, how come... When I take Advil, it just knows the spot where it hurt, where the pain is. And it's like, well, it probably transfers through your entire bloodstream or something. So maybe the pizza does the same. It yeah, just, I think people know, theoretically, how Advil, like, somebody somewhere knows how Advil works. Right. I don't right. think they're just like, I don't know, we take this pill, something happens. Right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, nobody knows, <laughs> nobody researches it. It's just like, I don't know, stuff happens, it's magic, it's fine. Is it bad if you take too many Advils in one yes. day? Yes. Yeah, like, like, cause... like past six. Like, like, there's a limit, but uh, yes. Yeah, it once... can cause stomach, even... stomach bleeding. Ibuprofen is bad about stomach bleeding. Yeah. Yeah, even like four is kind of pushing it a little bit. Yeah. Damn it! Well, Are you never... taking a day, Natalie, or at once? Uh, like in a day, like over the course of four hours. That's... Four okay, four hours is a lot shorter. That's not a day. Uh, that is <laughs> that's a lot. Too many, yeah. yeah, that's too many. That's too many. We're learning so much on this show today already. Yeah, no, don't take too many ibuprofen. That's not good. Yeah. Um, acetaminophen. Mm-hmm. If you take too much of that, can damage your liver. So really, any analgesic or like pain reliever, you're really not supposed mm-hmm. to take more than they recommend. Yeah, bear anyway. can hurt your heart quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, when I was in. When I was in middle school and I played basketball because I was tall back then and stopped growing, uh, <laughs> I used to take ibuprofen like a lot during the day. Yeah, and then I remember having like these like incredibly just intense dreams that I would yell at people when I woke who woke me up because like I I was dreaming that it was a really good dream. Wow! But I found out 
after, like years after, the reason was I was taking so much ibuprofen that it affects your kidneys and that gives you more intense dreams. Whoa. Oh my God, no way. Because I have really intense dreams and I'm always <laughs> drinking Advil. So like, maybe that's There's it. several questions I have to ask. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, Natalie, why do you drink it? Because <laughs> I have a lot of body pains, but like, at some point it just doesn't work anymore so i'm like i'm gonna just suffer so and i like cast silence on on the rest of my body and i just like ignore the advils and yeah but do you do you not know how to swallow a pill (laughs) i i I do oh okay i I think she when she said drink it i assume she means take it with water yes Oh, I thought you meant like you just get the syrup version of Advil and you're like, no, that's disgusting. Oh, okay. Yeah, it is disgusting, Natalie. That's why, that's why I was. That's for people under 15. I am over 15. (laughs) So I can take the big pills. (laughs) I was about to say, I'm starting to get a clear picture of why everyone in the medical field thinks you're a child. (laughs) Can can you bring me all the Advil syrup, please? Please, please. No tears, shampoo. Mm -hmm. It's funny because I cut my hair like a week or two ago y'all are gonna see it uh this week uh, well not our listeners sorry listeners but like my co-workers uh i cut my hair and i was like oh yeah it's gonna make me look even more mature and then the hairdresser was immediately like oh you look even younger and i was like <laughs> cool okay thank you <laughs> uh, speaking of cutting things this week Ooh, we're talking about square enix cutting off various studios over a $300 million deal to focus on, among other things, blockchain and NFTs. That was a good segue, yeah. right? Okay, yeah, I no, seem to let it simmer no, a job. little. Okay, no, thank no, no, you. No, that was great. I'm just like sitting I here. I tell y'all about like your good segue, so I kind of needed like a little room for my to sink it. You stuff. did, yeah. <laughs> it was really good. I wanted to, I wanted it to have enough room to land. You know what I mean? Thank yeah, you. you did great. It's a really good seg. Like Natalie, the segue I had in mind was so bad that I can't even say it. Oh, no, well, you should say you, it now. Now, now, now. Clearly, you gotta you say it. To. Okay, they went from square hard to square soft. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. All right. All right. Sure. You were right. I mean, we could take it. George, you might actually have to. You can cut that out. You 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 might actually have to cut this one out. But I would have said now that Square's been embraced, they've gone from hard to soft. Get it? Because it's the embracer yes. group. Jordan, do you uh, want to just do you want us to just start over? No, don't cut these out. Let my male coworkers, who are unquestionably older than me, please embarrass themselves, Jordan. Okay, sure. And Jordan, I'm gonna have to just uh, swoop in and say you're gonna have to edit most of that out anyway. That is um, true. You are technically all of our bosses, so can't just say that. No, but it's like I, I don't know. It's just been a it's been a weird thing to see one, the embracer group grow to the size it is because when you go through their list of uh, purchases, which include things like dark horse um, comics, which is like something I always forget about um, and gearbox, they just keep buying stuff. And a lot of it feels yeah. pretty um, 
Yeah, so the Embracer Group that Jordan asked the question, uh, the Embracer Group is essentially a holding company uh, for a lot of different studios and IP and things like that. They've been uh, that they're they were they did they used to be Coke Media and then spun that out or did they buy Coke Media? I can't remember how that went. Uh, I believe Coke Media was a different. Yeah, they bought Coke Media. They bought Coke Media. Media. Okay, it was the Embracer. Or it was. THQ Nordic and Coke Media splitting up old THQ, basically. Right. Um, and so they they basically are a holding company that has bought a lot of different studios and pieces of IP over the past few years. Gearbox is really maybe their most high profile in the games space, I feel like, but they also own THQ Nordic. Um, um, and, and they have now purchased uh, some studios away from Square Enix, which is... Amazing. Um, and we should talk about that deal because the deal itself is pretty bizarre, I would say. Mm. It's it's one of the like so we Natalie mentioned 300 million as the price for uh basically Eidos, but it's like Eidos, or Crystal Dynamics, like all of their studios and a host of their IPs at once for 300 million dollars. To like put that into, pers- into some perspective, that's Activision Blizzard was $68.7 billion, so this deal would go into that deal 229 times. Yeah. Like, yeah. that's it's fairly ridiculous for how, how much Square just clearly wanted to get rid of these companies. It is so extremely cheap. Like, of course, the company sold Crystal Dynamics and Idols Interactive Court, but, like, among those IPs are Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane. For three hundred yeah. million, that is yeah. like they just wanted to get rid of y'all. Like, damn. Like, it, we, I, it's yeah. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Imran. I, I have to go look up a name because I forgot what the name. Okay, was. so uh, I was just gonna say on on my Tuesday morning stream, um, which you can check yes. out at twitch.tv slash fanbite. <laughs> uh, <laughs> every every Tuesday morning at ten thirty a.m. Eastern, um, we were looking at what the Tomb Raider films. Grossed. Now, these are both the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider films and the newer one with uh, Alicia Vikander. And, like, uh, both the original and the newest one made $275 million. And the middle one, the second Angelina Jolie movie, made, I think, like $160 million. That's box mm-hmm. office receipts of one entry each of, the, of a Tomb Raider film. And, like, you could round up to 300 million on that, on one of those Tomb Raider movies. Like you could round up and not really bat an eyelash and the entire IP along with Deus Ex, Thief, Legacy of Kane, and the attached studios to those properties went for 300 million. Yeah. So the reason I think, like not think, the reason most likely that they, uh, Square sold this for this much of a, Low price, probably not a loss, but they David Gibson, who's an analyst at MST Financial, said that Square Enix over the last couple of years of the Marvel deal lost two hundred million dollars on those games. Right, not like spent, lost. Mm-hmm. Like that is that they apparently spent about one hundred ninety million on Avengers alone. Oh my god! Yeah. Like I, I can easily see why they went. Okay, we're done with this plan. Please go ahead. Whoever can take this from a take, go ahead. It put us out of our misery with this, basically. Yeah. 
And it also explains why in the last couple of weeks, Avengers was like, or Chris Dynamics was very cagey about the Avengers roadmap, which is like, we're just going to take this a couple of weeks at a time now. We're not going to yeah. talk further, which I don't think, like, they have not said if they're going to still work on that game, but the license belongs to Square, not Embracer. And I imagine they didn't sell the license to it because I don't think they could. I don't think that's transferable. Right. So, like, I assume that game is just done. Yeah. Like there's nothing coming from it anymore. I mean, it's going to take a few months for this to, uh, they expect this to go through, I think, sometime before September, they said. Um, but yeah, like, if you're a big fan of the Avengers game, all three of you, um, you're probably, <laughs> you're probably seeing the, the end of this life, uh, this lifespan. Um, yeah. Which we like, like, that's not a huge surprise in and of itself. It felt like it was coming to a natural conclusion anyway, given how unsuccessful it seems to have been. But like, now, now it's it's definitely it's definitely you know for sure, um, which is right. uh, pretty wild, right? Yeah. Like people are for, always anticipating that kind of comeback story, and I don't think it was quite likely no. for Marvel's mm-hmm. Avengers, especially since the last time that we really heard about it properly um, on March thirty, the team proposed a workaround to resolve this issue that was causing right. a crash for some people on the PlayStation 5, but that workaround would actually just reset your entire campaign progress. So I think that was sort of like the real final thing on the coffin for, like you said, the three Marvel's Avengers fans out there. Like, dude, this, this is not working out. Like, ever since then, any updates have been either super minor improvements and stability fixes or just a lot of skin releases in the game's yeah. marketplace. They announced Mighty Thor, which is uh, Jane, who, like, yeah. the, the mm-hmm. yeah, for, for synergy with the movie. But, like, they didn't say, is it the same character with, like, a different skin or anything like that? They just said, like, yeah, Mighty Thor's coming. And then right. that was it. Like, they, they have not gotten to a bunch of the characters that were initially in the data mine for the beta, which is, like, Doctor Strange and stuff. I think after Spider-Man, it was very clear that this game was not going to get a comeback story. Black so Panther, yeah. did, they, did they Black Panther it. ever make it in? He did, yeah. That okay. was the last big content was, update was yeah. Wakanda. Because that was, that was like, some big, like, mission and story stuff, and that was really the last big thing they did. Spider-Man was after that, right? But it was just, yes. it was terrible, though. It was just, like... The character, which didn't even play as well as the version of Spider-Man from fucking Fortnite, um, <laughs> which is which is like, like that's got to be humiliating in and of itself. Um, but yeah, on like, the other hand, like, why would you waste resources on a thing yeah, that only shows up on one of three platforms? Hundred percent. Like it was a it was a bad idea from the jump, and that was not the development team's fault. That was all kind of marketing positioning and all that stuff that you know put them in a really rough situation. So yeah, I don't blame them at all for that. Yeah. I wasn't that far and, back speaking. Oh, going. I was going to say, like, I was trying to just switch subjects, but if you want to finish your thought. Oh, just way. that on the subject of the development team, wasn't it a while ago that Square Enix kind of threw Crystal Dynamics under the bus a little quite publicly? They, they said something like, we shouldn't have made... Uh, Avengers shouldn't have been a games as a service. And mm. I think what they actually, the way they said it is, that was translated it uh, as, uh, it was kind of Crystal Dynamics' fault, but I think the way they meant it was, we shouldn't give a, ga- a games as a service game to a studio that doesn't do games as a service. Right. Like, 
it doesn't make sense to give the Tomb Raider people the like keys to a game that they don't really know how to make. It was a it was an okay action game, but they were right. It shouldn't have been a games as a service. And if they were going to do that, it should have gone to someone else. I don't know who in their like development portfolio should I think it went to Crystal Dynamics because they didn't really have anyone else that could have done it. And they just assumed, oh well, Western company that makes action games might as well. Right. And it's kind of funny because they weren't even pleased with the original Tomb Raider reboot sales to begin with. They considered it a commercial failure, as far as I remember. So, yeah, I I think they were disappointed in it. I think they weren't. They didn't consider it a commercial failure. Ah, they, okay. Because they made two more games after that. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, I, I think the last one was probably kind of a failure, but that also was a bad game. But yeah, like they've never really known what to do with the Western Studios. No, like they haven't. They they bought them, and they it made sense at the time to, as like they were. Be, becoming a bigger publisher to go with the, like this Western, like Tomb Raider, Deus Ex. And a lot of those games were really good. Yeah. But they didn't really have like a idea for that. They just kind of went, okay, you guys do your things. We'll give you money when you need it. And we'll be heavy handed other times. And then it just kind of floated on and they made bad decision after bad decision with them. Yes, among yeah. um, the companies, overseas studios that will remain, uh, and continuing series in terms of uh, Western publishers, a company will still be publishing uh, series like Just Cause, Outriders, and Life is Strange. Uh, but as we mentioned before, Tomb Raider, Deus Ex, Thief, and Legacy of Kane all uh, went away with the $300 yeah. million dollar deal. They didn't own any of the studios that made those games, which I think is like why because they said they're still going to keep external publishing, which is kind of a mixed blessing. Like Square Enix is a bad publisher; they're yeah. like real fucking bad. <laughs> yeah, they they're, they're actually this is pretty much the worst part of their business. Yeah, like uh, that thing came up last week with uh, Yushinaka admitted, or he, he came out in, on Twitter and said, "Hey, I was just suing Square Enix over Balan Wonderworld." Yeah. Apparently they fired him in the middle, like not in the middle, six months before the end of development. Yeah, that story is probably a bit more complicated than he's making it seem because Naka has a reputation. But it does sound like Square Enix just has no oversight when they publish things. They're just they give people a little bit of money and then just go, "All right, make it work." However, you're going to do it, and uh-huh. then we're just not going to care. Yeah, and sometimes that works out because like. Life is Strange is an example of them doing pretty well with that that philosophy, and also an example of them doing really badly with that philosophy because they, I don't know who you would blame for Life is Strange two not working out well, but mm-hmm. it has to at least some part be on Square Enix. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I between that, like Babylon's Fall, uh, God, all the other just crap they've made, The Quiet Man, they're they don't bat a thousand in this arena. No, they don't. I mean, they 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 are exceptional at uh, cre- you know de- de- developing internal studios to make um, you know mostly Japanese uh, uh, centric games. You know, in the in those studio systems, and that's mm-hmm. been their bread and butter. But when they've done expansion into the West with these other studios, it's just been middling success like you know some things work out some things don't like deus ex feels like it should have been a bigger success than it was i mean some of that is some unevenness with those games but also like those just felt like 
obvious slam dunks in, ter- in terms of like reviving that series and that IP, and and that never really happened. Uh, just yeah. everything coming out of those Western studios never felt as successful as it should have been. Um, and that's definitely an indictment of of that stu- of that studio system. So, right. so yeah, yeah, like. Deus Ex should have, like, I, I want to say Human Evolution was huge. Like, it sold a lot of copies. It was yeah. critically acclaimed. Letitia aside, most people liked it. Like, the follow-up being Mankind Divided years later and not a full game and with a very quixotic marketing. Like, you can blame Og Lives Matter on, you know, like, <laughs> that's <laughs> them. But the level up your pre, augment your pre-order, that was what it was. Yeah. That's Square Enix. That's, like, that's what killed that game to at least an equal extent. Can you provide yeah. context for anyone who might not know what you mean by Og Lives Matter and augmenting your experience? So that game was, I want to say, 2015. And it was after Black Lives Matter started, like, mm-hmm. really getting, like, national stories. It was not, yeah. like, it, it was it was not at all the, the 2020 summer uh, protests at all. But, like, they were on national stages. Uh, I, I think by that point, campaigns were already talking about them. And they were, I remember seeing them, I remember vividly seeing them at a Bernie Sanders campaign. Uh, mm-hmm. But they... They were in the national conscious, and the the phrase "Black Lives Matter" was being co opted by other people as like actually every life matters. I don't think Blue Lives Matter started yet, but people were co opting into like White Lives Matter too, and things like that. Mm-hmm. So when Eidos Montreal did the or were starting the marketing for Deus Ex: Mankind Divided, they wanted to present a story where people who were augmented were being oppressed, which is. In line with the Deus Ex story yeah, so far. Sure. Uh, they did this by releasing concept art that included people protesting with the banner Og Lives Matter. That's incredibly <laughs> tone deaf for so many. Like, to, they are not the first company in an RPG to use uh, race politics in like a for their own like story and mm. in a fantastical way. Like goblins and dwarves and all those things are used as racial stand-ins all the time in a way that honestly goes too far these days. Mm-hmm. But I, I I understand why they thought that was okay, but it just came off real fucking bad. And then uh, what Square Enix did is they thought it was going to, like, Deus Ex Mankind Divided was going to be such a slam dunk that what they did is ran a pre-order campaign where if the game reached, like, because I think this is a couple of years after Kickstarter really started hitting it big. Yeah. So like, if we get enough pre-orders on this game, we will release it early for people who pre-ordered by I think two weeks. And people like that's actually fairly common now with the uh, buy the deluxe edition thing. Yeah. But like, people thought it was just insane bullshit, and they were right. right. That was it was unprecedented, and they shouldn't have done it. And they eventually, I think, cu- pulled that thing back, but that hurt pre-orders immediately. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Uh. What else? Also, Square Enix had them cut the game like down because they said, "Hey, we're gonna we want a sequel, so put a cliffhanger ending to this game." So, according to people who like according to Enos Montreal interviews, there was more to this game originally mm. that they had saved for a sequel that never got made because Avengers. Because they gave Avengers to Crystal Dynamics, Crystal Dynamics could not work on the third Tomb Raider game, which they had already greenlit. So. 
Tomb Raider moved to Eidos Montreal, which meant they couldn't work on Deus Ex 3, so that game just got canceled. Yeah. Damn. Dude. It's, again, Square Enix did a lot to ruin that. It wasn't (laughs) great. They didn't do, like, they, they themselves were not firing on all cylinders, but Square Enix did everything in their power to ruin that Western branch. Right. I honestly, when I think of DSX as someone who has not played those games, I always think immediately of that Og Lives Matter thing. I think that was a major PR disaster, even at the time when I don't think people were as thoughtful in general of Black Lives Matter and what it stands for. Um, but I'm seeing the the image for the augment your pre-order now and like the the skill bar or like the bar that you can fill up to unlock rewards and the early release of the game. That's wild. <laughs> I was only four days to like, honestly, they could have just not done that. That would have right. been so easy to just not do that thing. Yeah. And they didn't. They ended up not doing it and they still took the hit without actually getting anything from it. It's, it was such a silly, stupid idea, but yeah, it's what a, what a horribly mismanaged company in general yeah but square like the other half of this the thing that doesn't get talked about that much is square west like square america and europe and square like japan mm-hmm. have always been at war yeah they're like mm-hmm. it most people i think most consumers probably don't see it but like you can tell from even like e3s how many to how who was running that and who was actually calling the shots because square japan cares about something like fs7 remake they will push on everything to be like this is the only thing we're talking about right and when square doesn't care then square west takes over and they mostly don't give a shit what square japan is doing mm-hmm. right. yeah i mean it's it's, yeah. it's pretty clear that 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 you know if you're paying attention that that divide has existed for a long time so it's like like it checks out completely that they wanted to divorce themselves from from this branch of their company. Like this is not something that they've particularly excelled at. They've had some real slam dunk layups that like they've missed on and they've always just kind of been like antagonistic toward this branch of their own company. It feels like, so Mm -hmm. it's like, it makes sense that it's gone and it makes sense that they would sell it at a discount. But I am surprised still, regardless of all of that at how big of a discount it is. I also don't think this has gotten better Throughout the pandemic, as far as I've heard from folks in the know, like Square Enix has had a history of getting a lot of major projects leaked. And so in order to protect themselves from that, they have increasingly siloed off sections of like all the sections of the studio in order to prevent leaks from getting out, which has only further isolated these teams amongst themselves and ruined cross-communication. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that was the thing Tabata has complained about, is that he felt like he was on an island, which is is true. Square Enix did not like him, and he did not, not like Square Enix. And, like, there's a lot of... A lot of talk I don't... I'm not going to repeat because I'm not going to, like, say slanderous things about anyone here. That, <laughs> like, especially when I don't know. Uh, but... They they did not get along, and I think like Square as a company, especially the Japanese side, seems to think if you've not been in the business for thirty years, mm. then you are not experienced enough as a company. You you are not an adult in the room, right? Yeah. And I think that's how they always looked at their Western branches, especially Idos. Yeah, was 
you guys are we've not heard of you until the PS1 era, even if then. Mm-hmm. So don't talk to us about how to run anything. Don't tell tell us that you know any better. We're the ones who know better. And I think that kind of... It, they didn't get along partly because Square didn't get along with them, but I think that fed back into Eidos really didn't like their parent company. So I imagine to some extent they're probably like a little happy that they can escape from that particular mesh. Like, uh, right. Square, they're talking about doing like they want to still keep doing outside publications. Outriders is a big success for them. Yeah. They, that, it was a big success for them. Uh, not a good success for people can fly. Last I heard, with the last time they talked about it, they still hadn't been paid for that game. Wow. Which mm-hmm. is, like, th- that, that was good. like a year ago that yeah. they said that. But that's like, Square Enix is out there crowing about the numbers while they're still like, we need to get paid. So, I they're not a good publisher for outside developers either, but I think they think they know better. And I think by maintaining all control over that, they'll probably do more experimental not experimental do more publishing deals like that with studios like people can fly right um so there are two main reasons as to why square enix has stated in a press release that this deal was made one of them is to quote better align our overseas publishing function with our organization in tokyo uh and especially uh to maximize the worldwide revenue generated from future titles launched by the group studios in japan and i think we've covered that pretty extensively so far. Uh, But the other reason is that this sort of transaction uh, enables the launch of new businesses by moving forward with investments in fields including blockchain, AI, and the cloud. Uh, That is not surprising to hear considering that Square Enix has been rather public about their increasing investment in NFTs uh, on January 1st, Square Enix, uh, the president, Yosuke Matsuda, actually published a New Year's letter uh, where he was really excited about NFTs and said, I see 2021 not only as metaverse year one, but also as NFTs year one. Um, So it's, I'm not surprised to see the, that, Part of the reasoning for this deal is to move further into blockchain and NFTs, but I am almost surprised by the enthusiasm that the company, like the company is really committed, it seems, to investing in NFTs or non-fungible tokens. I tweeted about this like a couple of weeks ago, but like people are going to, uh, I said people are going to be very surprised at how much Japan does not think NFTs are a bad thing. Like, the the corporations in charge, the money people, yeah, of course they don't because right. it's free money essentially for them. Like, why don't we sell this sprite of fighter from FF1 for $5,000? That seems like a fucking great idea. But like the the indiv- like individual people in Japan largely, it, to the extent polling can be done there, polling-wise, they don't really care that much about it. They mm. don't think it's a terrible idea. It is. It does appeal to a lot of collector mentality things, too. Uh, when I was talking to Japanese developers at GDC, there weren't a ton, because obviously it was very hard to come back in and out of America, uh, and go out in and out of Japan, for that matter. But the few I talked to were like, yeah, actually, I know the people who are presenting it 
the corporations and suits are not doing a great job, but we think there's going to be good things that can come from this, which maybe they're not wrong. Maybe like the things they were saying were things like, uh, what if we could sell, like, I'll, I'll actually allow people to own and sell their digital games. Like, I could see the logic. There's nothing stopping them from doing that now, but <laughs> right. I could see the logic of that. Yeah. But like, by and large, they don't, they think of it as a futurist concept that would work for them. I don't think that the, the narrative about how badly it affects the environment and how much, how pointless it is to like sell people things that don't really come to that much use applies much there. They think they're getting in on the ground floor. I saw reporting today that that ground floor is falling beneath them and the NFT market is just sinking like a stone so right yeah yeah Yeah. who knows like like, today as we're recording this on wednesday uh may 4th um may the 4th be with you um (laughs) the uh yeah it's like we had seen the google search trend stuff on nfts and like that's like that's shaky data right like we can say okay like there's not public interest in this but um but like but now, now we're actually seeing market data that's like you're seeing a wall. It's like it's like the shelf of like the ocean. It's just like you can see just the rock wall completely drop off. So hmm. this is obviously an internationally unstable market that Square Enix is still kind of dipping into. But I mean, there's also reason that they're saying blockchain specifically. There's also reason they're saying AI and cloud, like they're diversifying their, like, I think it's, I think it's poison to say for any company right now to say we're getting in NFTs. Like the only ones that are still seemingly talking about NFTs specifically are like the obvious grifter VC setup, uh, like quote unquote games companies getting into this stuff. But like, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's still going to be bullshit, but it's like, I don't know. It's like, it's it's probably more complex than NFTs for Square Enix. I think what Square really wants is to control a marketplace like Steam does. Like, they don't right. necessarily want to sell games, but they want to control a marketplace where people are buying and selling things to each other and they're skimming off the top. Where, like, I think they tested this with uh, their Million Arthur mobile game, where mm. they sold, like, individual things and let people sell them through the game, but whenever they'd sell, like, there was a transaction fee that they'd charge of, I don't know, like, a couple of cents or a couple of yen or whatever, and they made a lot of money off that. So I think the ideal for them is to do that in a game that is very, very successful, like maybe that transfers to Record Keeper. Maybe like in their head, this is a thing that Avengers could have done well at some point, where you buy a Hulk skin and you're like, you know what? I'm done with this Hulk skin. I want to sell it, and they skim money off the top. Because you're not going to always sell to people who want to buy new, because DLC is a fairly trodden path at this point. But if you can sell to people who are going to buy used from someone else, and like use digital scarcity is... Not a thing that needed to exist, but if it's going to exist, they want to make money off of it. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah. And Konami, like, Konami is going all in on it. And oh, I think, yeah. Yeah. I think Square wants to dip their toes in that water where if they're, if Konami is going to make money off of it, then they're right. going to, because like, uh, Konami, I don't know if you remember, they tried they, for the Castlevania anniversary instead of like releasing a new game they uh sold <laughs> Castlevania NFTs which were <laughs> rotating cubes that <laughs> yeah. played scenes from Castlevania on it <laughs> 
which if they were real fucking cubes, I would be I would be all over that. I would have gotten one. But as a like NFT you buy, ridiculous bullshit. Yeah. Uh but Konami themselves made something like fifteen thousand dollars, twenty thousand dollars off that thing. Mm-hmm. The people that tried to sell it after they bought them from Konami made no money. Yep. I think they lost money yep. if they sold it them all. But if the company thinks that they can sell these things and then they just make some easy money off what is essentially an animated GIF or a WebM, then they're going to do it. And I think Square Enix, Square Enix thinks, again, this comes back to the we're an old company that knows better thing. They have the nostalgia market cornered. If, if not them, then Nintendo. But like, yeah, it inc- any list that includes them near the top. So if they want to sell the NFT to Aerith's death, then I'm sure somebody <laughs> is going to buy that for a lot of money. And I think they want to get into that quite a bit. $300 million towards that, probably kind of a steal. Yeah. yeah. The NFT of Aaron's death. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I mean, you, we joke. That's 100% going to happen. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's I think so you're right. True. No, I think that what you brought up regarding the way that Japanese developers see NFTs and blockchain compared to Western developers is such an interesting point. And especially what you mentioned about that fear that I'm glad to see a lot of game development companies have with even mentioning NFTs. I mean, I don't think they even have to mention it at this point. Uh, I while you were talking, it reminded me of uh, Ubisoft that uh, on April 23, they revealed a project by the codename Project Q. And they phrased it in the tweet as a team battle arena letting players truly own the experience. And that announcement was just overridden by Ubisoft's social media people having to go into the replies uh, of the tweet thread and being like, no, we don't have plans to add NFTs into this game. Like, they didn't even have to mention it, but just the the phrase, letting players own the experience, right. is already setting alarm bells for so many people. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. that announcement just got absolutely overshadowed by people getting uh, concerned about NFTs in the replies. Because it's like anything else, that once you say you're going to have NFTs... I can't trust you to make a game that's fun without them. You may be right. able to, you may have done it. You may have added NFT the last second. It could have been the game was completely done and somebody in a suit came down and said, hey, do this extraneous bullshit that mm-hmm. also has NFTs. And like that affects the game design in no way, but I can't trust you anymore to know that. Right. So I think when Square Enix, like I'm looking forward to other Square Enix games. I think Final Fantasy VII Remake 2 probably is going to be a great game. Yeah. But also, I don't trust Square Enix at all, like uh-uh. as a company, to do the right thing ever. No, and in fact, like I would imagine, you know, because like the because the mod market, uh, this is this is me spitballing, but the mod market for Final Fantasy VII to like you know put new outfits on those characters and stuff. That is so that is popping off in a way that tells me that Square is probably going to try to sell individual owned costumes for Final Fantasy VII characters within the remake space. Like, I I think that stuff is going to happen, and I think it's going to happen fairly aggressively. Yeah. Um, 
But yeah, the other day they they announced the Kingdom Hearts merch and like something yeah. that's actually kind of cool, like the the pins. But one of them is a Mickey Mouse plush that is a hundred dollars, and like I looked at that, and I'm like. You know, at least it's not an NFT, I guess. Like, uh-huh. b- but if they did get into that business, boy, it would fucking suck. Right. I mean, last week we had our April news quest, and one of the stories that we covered was the twelve thousand uh, dollar statue of Terra from Final Fantasy VI. Yeah. It's not an NFT, right? It's right? just eleven thousand five hundred. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. On- Honestly, at least you get a statue. At least it's a thing that like exists in your in your house, and you can point to it and be like, "Yeah, that's money." Like some money went into making this, right? Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Ah, <laughs> oh, jeez. But yeah, it's not surprising to see that this has happened. I, I'm always thinking every now and then about part of that letter from Matsuda, which says, uh, traditional gaming has offered no explicit incentive to this latter group of people, by which he's talking about people who play to contribute. And Mm. he says, who are motivated strictly by such inconsistent personal feelings, such as goodwill and volunteer spirit. (laughs) I don't even get, like, what is... What? <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah. I mean, no, I'm I'm playing a game because I want to play a fun video game. Well, but like like uh, between between these these entrenched Japanese developers saying this and this week also newsworthy and timely, uh, Reggie Fizami, former uh, uh, Nintendo of America president, um, like he's very 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 on the record and positive about the idea of uh, basically monetizing the stuff that you're doing. Like he he gave the example of like. I would love to take this Animal Crossing island I've spent 300 hours cultivating and and you know figuring out and sell it when I'm done with the game and like that is what he and other suits that have come from the marketing world and kind of the customer engagement world that try to pull in whales essentially like like Reggie yeah. Fizami understands basically the mindset of a whale, someone who doesn't really give a shit about, you know, the overall market of of games and thinks about them in this like unbelievably singular and selfish and kind of bizarre way that I think is outside of how you typically think about stuff. Like Reggie is really good at he's really good at a few things. He's thinking outside the box about stuff. And right now that is pretty outside the box thinking, I would say. Um, And also just seeming really charming and nice while doing it. And the problem is for people like me that really think this blockchain shit is a pathway to a much less fun games environment. uh, The problem is like, I think Reggie fees me saying this stuff actually helps the entire movement of this take root. Like, I think it helps square Enix's mm-hmm. case to say, yeah, no, I, I, that's how, that's what we see too. We see a future where, uh, final fantasy 14, like interior decorators will be able to sell, you know, you know, sell their creations and houses for like a lot of real money. You'll be able mm-hmm. to have like a lot of this stuff. And like that stuff in and of itself, this kind of economy stuff, kind of reminds me of when I learned about Eve online and I thought it was so cool that that these players were constructing this this economic uh system within a game like I thought that was very cool but as I grew up and like understood how a lot of that stuff worked and understood how unstable and uh unfun 
that kind of stuff is for most players. It's just so obvious that this is the pathway we should take. But like Reggie fils and Mitsuda and like other developers saying this stuff, I do think it it hurts the the folks like me that don't want this to happen. But right. it's, it's kind of legitimizing it in a way that feels um, way more legitimate and earned than VC people coming in and saying like NFTs. It's like I, w- I don't think I was ever really worried about that taking serious root, but like the blockchain mm-hmm. stuff. Yeah. Like here's Snape. Yep. Right. And I, I think it also helps particularly that Nintendo has a similar structure to Square Enix where right. like a lot of people see Nintendo Japan and Nintendo of America and just elsewhere, like those outside Nintendo sites function pretty much as marketing departments for the actual Nintendo Japan that is in charge of all the like big game development decisions. A lot of people see Square Enix the same, even though like they've gotten into publishing with Western studios. I think a lot of people have seen Square Enix Western develop like divisions as marketing departments that support Square Enix Japan. Right. Yeah. The this is a digression. Uh Reggie's book is out and it's it's I don't understand people liking it. It's real bad. <laughs> oh, it's not a good yes? book. How is it? Yeah. <laughs> How uh, is it's, it? It's not, it's not well written. It is basically Reggie's handpicked stories of all the times he was right. And I don't oh, necessarily man. believe I don't necessarily believe all these stories. He's because like, like the big New Yorker pizza changed the entire landscape of pizza and pizza development. I'm just kidding. I don't that, know. What honestly, that, that's, that's basically a chapter, John. Uh, there's a chapter about how like he argued for Wii Sports to be in the uh, in packed in with the Wii, and e- everyone was disagreeing with him. And then at some point, Awada like a quote from Awada is, "My God, Reggie is right." And like uh, that is that is most of the book. Reggie. There's an entire chapter about how he thought that the 3DS is overpriced. He didn't do anything to stop it. He just thought it was overpriced. Uh, and like the last line of the book is that people he thinks executives are too afraid to make bold decisions because they're afraid of being canceled. And I sat at that hmm. line looking like Reggie, you don't you don't know what being canceled means, do you? She's one of the like, most beloved yeah. figures it, in the entire industry. <laughs> it's it's not about making the bad wrong decision. It's about harassing women. Yeah, right. It's about like doing something egregious. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's interesting. Like, do, do, does it go into it at all? Because to me, business books are absolutely fucking worthless unless you talk about failure. Like, does he talk about anything that he feels like he failed at, or or is it just like a victory lap about everything? There's one thing I don't remember the exact example was, but he he says like one line about how he made a mistake when he was younger and like oh pfft, okay whatever yeah he and he like I learned from that. There's also a weird one. This is this is not like a mistake. This right. is just a really weird story he tells. Sure, but he talks about doing or like laying off a bunch of people and how that was a good thing because one of the people he laid off was his wife. Okay. And he's like, I couldn't start dating her if she worked for me. Okay. And it's just like a very strange story of like, Mm-mm. sure, Reggie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, silver lining for you and your wife. <laughs> if she was the only person you fired, maybe that would be an interesting story. 
God. Yeah, maybe Jordan says maybe he does need to worry about being canceled. Yeah, that's pretty weird, Reggie. That's yeah, especially that, 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 interesting to hear given uh, just yesterday, Kat Bailey over at IGN posted a wonderful report where she spoke to several uh, past and current full-time and contract uh, workers over at Nintendo of America. And Reggie responded to that report saying that, uh, which the report, among many things, detailed just uh, a lot of crunch, a lot of overworking, just right. really an unhealthy environment, particularly for people in contract positions who were not given a path to an actual full-time career, uh, allowing them to basically have the prospects of a full-time job and stability and a proper livelihood just dangled in front of them as they overworked themselves for Nintendo of America. Uh, And Reggie responded to that report by saying that everything in that report just sounds like a Nintendo that was not the one that he left behind when he retired in 2019 and it's like well according to the report if you match up the timelines like these things are happening while you were there (laughs) yeah it's either he's lying about that or he's he was so oblivious that like he probably didn't wasn't doing anything at nintendo he was like a figurehead if that's the case that he didn't know about any of that this is all a digression about reggie in that book that i don't understand people praising the writing of because the writing's real bad but yeah, Reggie NFTs are not the future. Nor Matsuda NFTs are not the future. They are a they are a possible future that is currently being forced on us by people who think they can make a lot of money off of it. Right. I don't see the actual benefit for people in the long run for this thing unless yeah. you are you yourself are strictly making money off of it. Yep. Right. Um, I want to return back to talking about the developers involved in this deal. Uh, do we think Crystal Dynamics and Idols Montreal are better off uh, being sort of cut from Square Enix? Uh, the last we heard about Crystal Dynamics uh, was on April 5th uh, over at the State of Unreal presentation uh, held by Epic. Uh, we heard that the studio is adding a new Tomb Raider game to its growing list of projects. Right. Uh, as well as Eidos Montreal, we don't exactly know what they're working on, but they did release Guardians of the Galaxy at the end of last year. Mm-hmm. I believe that we heard that it hadn't really broken even at the no. time, but that was mm-hmm. right before, I believe right before it got on Game Pass. So yeah. I mean, it it sunk to twenty dollars within like weeks. Yeah, which is it, right. they, which is a bummer. They had no that, confidence. Again, one one of the best games from last year. Really. Yeah, and I think um, honestly, I see a lot of people say Avengers killed that game for them because yeah. they were like, "Oh, this looks just like another Avengers. Like yeah. it's going to be another bad Square Enix Marvel game." And it was a good Square Enix Marvel game. Just if the if the releases were reversed, I think Guardians would have done a lot better. Right. But they they weren't, and this game suffered for that. But what they're going to do now, that's honestly a more open question than you would think, because we don't really know what Embracer does. I was about to say, yeah. yeah. They have an MO. Yeah, like they they are clearly, you you don't go on the kind of spending spree you're you're doing unless you have some sort of overall plan, right? But like, it does seem like for the most part, at least when you look at studios like Gearbox, uh, and a lot of the THQ Nordic, I mean, THQ Nordic uh, properties, like, it feels like right now they have a lot of autonomy. 
to me. Yes. Um, but like these studios have been controlled by publisher interests for many years at this point. So what does autonomy look like for Crystal Dynamics right now? Like, what does autonomy look like for for IDOS? Like, I, I can't actually really say that. Uh, Jordan says Gex is back, baby. That could be true. Um, so we don't really know. Like, we don't know what the MO is here. So it could just be like, yeah, no, like green, green light, whatever IP stuff you want. It could be this Tomb, Tomb Raider thing. Like, for, for all we know, they could be making, uh, you know... Uh, sequels right now to all their hits and like you know maybe they'll have a better chance at hitting with square enix not being in the publishing seat but we just i don't know i just don't think we know enough yeah Th their usual thing when they buy a studio is to get that the old studio or like the people involved with the old studio to work on a new game and also remaster old games to remind people those things exist. They've done that for pretty much every like major thing they've bought so far, like including Time Splitters and Saints Row and Darksiders and all that. I assume what they will do is they'll probably re-release the old Deus Exes, yeah. like as as HD ports, re-release the old Tomb Raiders, probably re-release that that Thief project that they did last generation that literally no one ever talks about. So I think it's not that very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then probably have them work on like a new thing, like a new Deus Ex, a new uh, Tomb Raider has already been announced, and I assume they're going to keep going with that. They obviously aren't working on Avengers anymore, so there's they're they're free up to do whatever. Uh, they they are still working with Microsoft on Perfect Dark, so they've they've said that much. That deal is going to continue. Uh, so that's just money flowing into THQ Nordic from Microsoft. Uh, so that'll be some degree of Crystal Dynamics uh, time. But yeah, I think it's going to be largely HD ports and then in a couple of years from now, a new game. Maybe THQ Nordic goes, let's bring back Legacy of Kane. Mm. Maybe they, they say, hey, Amy Hennig, after your Star Wars thing, do you want to come work right for this thing? I don't right. know. That that seems like a crowd pleaser that doesn't necessarily have a lot of uh, cultural cachet behind it, but no. that could be a thing they do. <laughs> it doesn't. I, I don't know what, I like, a new Legacy of Kane being announced in 2023 or whatever, That that's one of the biggest, que like, cultural question marks I could imagine right now. It's like, how would, how would the public react to that? Because I think some of us would be very excited and interested, but I, half of our staff would be like, what the fuck are you talking about? Yeah, I'm half of staff. <laughs> I'm half of staff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say, because when this happened, I saw a lot of people explicitly mention, like, New more Legacy people mentioned, yeah, more people uh -huh. on my timeline mentions Legacy of Kane than Tomb Raider. So, like, y'all, fill me in, because I'm half of staff. What What's it, the deal with so, Legacy of Kane? <laughs> you know Amy Hennig? Yes. She wrote the original Legacy of Kane games. Uh. So... They are well-liked for story and atmosphere, and they're like a cool little vampire Zelda-like kind of thing. Oh. That yeah. probably doesn't warrant the fervor that it gets these no. days, but the fact that Square Enix doesn't make it or doesn't release it, and like it's not on any legacy services, how legacy? It's not on any <laughs> legacy <laughs> services or anything like that, I think uh, raises the te temperature level for people on that yeah. game. But I could see uh, THQ Nordic trying to, like, again... There's literally no reason they should be making a new Time Splitters, but they are. I don't think they should be making new Dark Siders games, but they are. Like there, I I think there's definitely like some someone at this company 
that wants that likes these old games and is convincing other people to spend money on them. I mean, at least Time Splitters is good. Yes, I just can't, I can't I, I can't justify the other stuff. I I, yeah, I think a Legacy of Kane, if if they I would take it. it up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, it, I, even if they just did, I mean, like. Even if they just did a, a like a remaster of the what was it like a Dreamcast game? It was like Dreamcast PS2 uh, era. I think the last time there was one. I think um, like I I don't know. I, even if they did that and set that up and like see see how it goes, like I think that'd be interesting. But a brand new one would be cool. I just don't. Yeah. I don't know. I just have no idea what to expect from from a new Legacy of Kane game. I will say. I'm a little dis. I was excited when they announced a new Tomb Raider. Yeah, and I kind of wonder if Embracer is going to put the budget behind Tomb Raider that Square Enix did. The last game wasn't good, but the first right. two I really liked. Yeah. So hopefully, with with the new one, they make a a good game out of it, like a good game with enough budget. Because Square Enix wanted to make an Uncharted rival. What is Embracer's like mentality for that? game like what what is their what are their hopes for a new Lara Croft title are we gonna go back to like the old old stuff are we right. gonna stay with reboot Lara is like I, I'm curious because like Embracer if people do not remember they also have made some real fucking stupid marketing decisions oh, and yeah. publishing decisions do you remember they they held an AMA on what is a oh, white a, supremacist site yeah they went to oh. HN to promote a game yeah. Yes. Yeah. And they were like, and people were like, hey, we want to get more games about like, you know, white supremacists nice. And they're like, well, we'll do them. And it was like, okay, hold on. Uh, <laughs> this, is a, this is a real dumb thing for you guys to do. And yeah. they, they said they were going to do internal investigation. And then as far as I know, no one ever got fired or no one ever like what they never released results of that internal investigation. But right. what, like, as far as most people, I think are concerned, 8chan is a white supremacist site that yes. is designated as a hate site. Yep. So like mm -hmm. they play to the cheap seats a lot. Oh yeah. And is a new Tomb Raider game, you could very easily play to the cheap seats with one of those games. Oh yeah, oh for sure. Yeah. Yes. They've never they've never met an open wall that they haven't been like, yeah, like let come come on. So yeah, yeah I mean it it wouldn't surprise me if they went in that direction. I think that would I, yeah, I'm sure there are very vocal pockets within Crystal Dynamics that you know would would thrash against that, but yeah, I mean, obviously they're they're owned by Embracer now, so I guess what what they say goes. Um, so yeah, it could it could go that way. I would be bummed to see that. I just if we're gonna see a new Tomb Raider, I just need it to go back to the basics. You know, not not all this like you know like very serious storyline and development. I'm just talking about one thing and one thing only, the ability to lock your butler into a walk-in freezer. <laughs> That's it. That's it. There, there's a really good scene, and I think about this scene a lot because it's actually one of my favorite scenes in video games in the 2013 Tomb Raider, where for most of the game, you Lara Croft is being like, chased, beaten, abused, oh, yeah. whatever yeah, by yeah. these guys. It's, it's rough, yeah. 
And then at one point when you're sneaking back to the base to free someone, she finds a grenade launcher. <laughs> and yeah. it changes the dynamic so much where she is just shooting wantonly <laughs> at these people yeah. and they are running for their lives. Yeah. And she's like, why are you running? Is it because I have a grenade launcher yeah, now? Yeah, yeah, and it's yeah, just yeah. like, it's such a fucking good it's power good. fantasy scene. Yep. That like, I know, I know it, it's such a shitty way to get there, but I really love that scene. Yeah. And like, I would, I, I keep wanting them to be able to like take that energy into a new game, but they haven't. Cause like, I don't know if you played Shadow of the Tomb Raider. Uh, it's uh, a weird game where the villain is being like, I don't like colonialist. And Lara Croft is like, that's bad though. <laughs> but I'm Brit, but and, love, like, I'm British. Yeah. I love and, colonialism. Like, like he he seems evil, but he doesn't really seem to be actually all that evil. Sure. Like his yeah. motivations are not that bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I I forget. God, I don't remember where I heard this. I'm gonna feel real bad. I think like I might have been talking to uh, Yusuf McGee of uh, Ubisoft the other day, mm. and they were suggesting a a game that was like a reverse Indiana Jones where you steal from museums to give back to the cultures. Oh. I would fucking love a Tomb Raider game like that. Yeah. I mean, who says, who says Laura Croft has to be like, you know, anything like let's have like, like, but make one where she's like hunting people, like where it's very, it is kind of that power fantasy and she's taking these relics back and putting them putting them back where they belong. Like, that would be very cool. They could go in a million different directions with it, and I hope they do something interesting because there were aspects of those newer games that I really, really enjoyed. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was joking earlier when I said go back to basics. I, I just do want them to make it e- easy for me to lock a butler into the walk-in freezer, which you could do in, I believe that's the... F- First one or second one? Second um, one has the second house. one has the yeah yeah yeah. Uh, you basically do this like if you don't know Natalie, you basically do this uh, mm. obstacle course that you built in your backyard, which serves as a uh, tutorial, and then you can lock your butler in a walk-in freezer by because he follows you everywhere. It's very cute, and you can just close the door behind uh, behind him. Anyway, that's funny. Uh, I played I the first that, one, but I hadn't played the second one. That, that, to me, that was the height of emergent storytelling. Like as. Uh, <laughs> In, in fucking 1998 or whatever, I was like, oh, my God, this is so cool. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's like I, I, I'm i hopeful. I mean, that's a good that, that's a good studio full of really talented people. Um, yeah. And I just hope they get something to work on that they can enjoy and put more mm-hmm. of themselves in, I feel like, because it's been so driven by publisher interests recently that that's so it's so noticeable. Right. So right. uh, the upside here is possibly they can kind of make something of their own. Uh, the possible downside is that, like, if Embracer kind of shows its hand about what it wants to do, um, these studios could be maybe the first, like, uh, obvious victims of whatever new direction that is, right? So we'll just have to see how it plays out. Right. I think they especially need that autonomy and just projects that they not only like but also fit their dna really well after marvel's avengers yeah i guess my last question is have layoffs been in the history of embracer groups acquisitions in the past not that, not I, that I am recall. aware of yeah, yeah. i oh. think it, 
part of that is they're a European company and it layoffs are significantly harder to yeah. do there yeah. by by EU design. So I imagine that is contributing to it. But usually when they buy a studio, they seem to like maintain everyone. There's going to have to be some layoffs here regardless because there were people involved with Square Enix Western Publishing that now don't have anything to do. Mm-hmm. And I right. doubt they're going to move to Japan. Yeah. So there will, I'm sure, be some layoffs, but I don't think they're going to be from the developers themselves. Got it. Okay, cool. Just wanted to make sure that's always a concern with, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, these moving chess pieces and the workers caught up in the middle of it all. Um, do we have anything else that we would like to mention about this before we wrap up? Well, I th- the one thing we didn't talk about, which is actually like, the main thrust of this podcast is <laughs> they said one of the reasons they're go- like selling off their Western branch is so they want to concentrate more on internal development. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So do you think we're going to get more square stuff basically? Like I would not be shocked if one of th- they think stuff like FS7 remake and FS16 is taking so long is because they have all these resources tied up elsewhere. Mm. Like, they thought Hitman was causing, you know, delays and the other stuff, so they sold IO. Right. I would not be shocked if they think that now they've freed up producers to work on FS16 stuff. Do you think like this is going to actually make Square Games say come out faster or better? Uh, no, I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, I think I think they've got. I, you know, it's like I I use I use maybe their most egregious examples of scope creep and bad development cycles against them. Maybe I shouldn't be using their most extreme examples, but it's like Final Fantasy versus 13, Kingdom Hearts 3. Like, these are games that I do not believe suffer because of resource management of the Western of the Western uh, studios. Like, mm-hmm. I just don't believe that that's that's like mm. that what what caused that to happen. I think Square Enix is going to Square Enix with some of their properties. I think generally they've gotten better at this stuff, regardless of their management of Western studios. I think like Final Fantasy fourteen and kind of the command that that team has over that game and the very specific release cycle that they've created. I think um, the Final Fantasy sixteen release cycle that game is not out yet, but by most accounts, it it's got a relatively short development cycle. Um, and, you know, all things considered. So, like that stuff seems to have been improving already. That I don't immediately, I don't immediately figure that that'll improve just because they're not managing these Western studios as well. But I don't know. Mm. Right. Yeah. It's it's hard to not think about Kingdom Hearts three or Final Fantasy versus. 13 and the development cycles for those but i think especially again going back to our news quest episode last week uh which we spent a significant time talking about kingdom hearts 4 which was recently revealed um i i think perception has changed a little i think we at least don't expect the worst and like the most egregious examples of square enix's past development troubles to Mm. persist in the future um but i'm like you said i don't think that was partly at the very least because of the western studios and segment of square enix i think that was just them like 
I think they've learned the lesson of announcing things way too early. And right. by all accounts, it seems like Final Fantasy 16 is in its final stages of development. Um, I expect there to be a lot of polishing afterwards, but it seems like it's relatively far in. And it doesn't, I don't at least expect Kingdom Hearts 4 to have the long delay between its announcement and uh, between the announcement and the release of Kingdom Hearts 3. So, right. um, I think it's hard to predict, but I am, yeah, actually it's, it's hard to predict. I'm not sure whether those folks who we discussed as like possibly being laid off, if they're going to be moved to other projects altogether and those projects contribute to projects in Japan or if they're just going to actually be laid off, et cetera, like hard to predict. I mean, I think Square Enix sees all this stuff as like, a zero-sum game. And so money that goes to Avengers or whatever mm. is money that does not go to F7 Remake. Yeah, possible. Mm. So, yeah. So, like, we'll we'll see how that actually works out. Maybe we're looking at a three-year re- reveal-to-release cycle as opposed to a six-year. But, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It, they might just be blaming the wrong people and the problems are usually internal for those. Right. Yeah. Yep. <sighs> Big, big discussion on one of the main RPG-centric players in the industry. Thank you so much, John and Imran, for filling in the gaps today, especially as someone who is not very business savvy and has a hard time retaining all this information. I am just kind of like amazed by Imran's memory and John's mm-hmm. expertise. Like both of you, your brains are so big. Maybe I just need to turn 15 years old. I was gonna make the but, joke earlier that I am Square Enix West and Square Enix Japan is the lady at the eyeglass place telling me, like, oh, you need to turn 15 for you to know how to put in contacts. Oh my god. So you need to make a good Tomb Raider. Yeah. Well, the the thing with Imran and I is that our bodies stopped growing when we turned like 18, <laughs> but our minds kept getting better. So. My body stopped growing and my mind stopped growing when I... <laughs> <laughs> no, it's that's real, not true. It's a real shame we had to sell Steven to Embracer Group, though. Oh, I know. <laughs> I'm so upset about that. Like That's right. Oh my god, they're not... I mean, on the International Space Station, y'all. Yeah, just wanted we, to, we sold them. We wanted to we save this for the end or... because we understand uh, it is a giant shift for our company going forward. But yeah. Stephen has been acquired by Embracer Group. By Embracer <laughs> Group, and now they're they're going to be um, they're going to be doing all their amazing stuff for Embracer. Yeah, uh, for, they're going to say for thirty dollars and one of those like <laughs> peanut butter snack packs. Thirty bucks. I had not seen the deal. That I mean, that seems like we got fleeced on that. Embracer huh. Group Steven is, did lose us $200 million. That's true. <laughs> yeah. Shit. Embracer Group is going to introduce Steven as the previous senior managing editor of Fanby with a B, capital B. <laughs> capital B. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, that is... Anyway, we miss you, Steven. We'll see Steven, I think, back here next week. We so. will acquire them again. Well, yeah, soon. we're gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna buy them back, I think. So. We're making yeah, we're we're talking about the deals, the transactions. We're playing a square enix. Um, because Steven is a primary asset. But so are all of you. So thank you so much for joining me today. Imran, primary asset number one. Where can we find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Imran Z O M G. John, 
primary asset number two. Where can we find you on Twitter? <laughs> you can find me at Floppy Adult. You can find primary asset number three, me, on Twitter at Hardimicia. That's hard I M E C I A. You can find primary asset number four, Jordan Mallory, our producer over at Jordan underscore Mallory on Twitter. And you can find our newly acquired, or well, newly sold asset but nonetheless still primary in our hearts steven strom over at steven strom at twitter thank you so much everyone for joining me today on this week's episode of 99 potions now it's time for us to saddle up to the bar grab a potion um i'm gonna make sure mine is non-alcoholic because i am less than 15 obviously uh and we are going to do a nice all